Hey there, I'm Jo and this is Looking Outside, the podcast that explores new perspectives beyond the familiar. I am a CPG innovator and with this show, I'm seeking a fresh take on business topics with some of the most influential and original thinkers. If you find yourself curiously peeking over the fence at what is happening outside your market, industry or field of knowledge, then this show will help you to explore more of that. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we are looking outside market research, how to be a better researcher by looking beyond traditionally defined methods of understanding our consumers. Joining me today is a true leader on the topic who in the research world needs absolutely no introduction. Hey, Jamin. Wow, what an intro. Thank you. (laughs) I do think I needed a little introduction though. I'm sure most of your listeners don't know who I am. Uh, well, introducing Jamin Brazil. <laughs> Tell us about yourself. <laughs> so uh, primary market research is my background. I started in the uh, mid-90s, um, you, you know, doing, doing pricing-related uh, research at a firm called Macro Consulting in Palo Alto, and then started Decipher with uh, co-founder Jamie Plunkett and later Kristen Luck. Uh, we then rolled that into Focus Vision, which I ran as a CEO for a couple of years, and now I'm doing Hub UX, a uh, community management and research operations automation platform. And you're hosting your own podcast that's had over 400 episodes. Episodes, yeah. The Happy Market Research podcast uh, started as soon as I left Focus Vision. I, I really couldn't do anything in the industry, um, and but wanted to maintain some level of relevancy. And so I thought, ah, what the heck? I consume a lot of podcasts. There really isn't a dominant podcast in this space. So why don't I uh, see what that's like? And I love it. Amazing. It's such a great show. You've had some awesome guests. What I really love is how you frame it. So happy market research. So what's uh, what's the motivation behind calling it happy? I, I'm a bit of a literalist. For me, it creates a uh, emotional connection to the to my listener where so it's, I think my intention is for them to have fun in the episodes. And so I felt like building that into the actual like name was really important. For anyone that knows Jamin or has met Jamin, you just know he's like big personality, incredibly kind human being, just a pleasure to speak with, lots of laughs and, you know, very, um, for lack of a better term, you're very human. Like you really bring your human self into what you do. So is that a part of what you bring into the work that you do as well as creating emotional human connections with your clients and with your consumers? You know, I had a therapist tell me, gosh, 20 years ago, or maybe 15 years ago, she said, uh, and it's honestly one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received. She said, it's really important that there's only one Jamin. And what she meant by that, as we kind of uncovered it, was um, you need to be one person. You need to be one person when you're a father. You need to be one person when you're a husband. You need to be one person when you're a friend and when you're a coworker and an employee and a boss and a uh, whatever, right? And so, um, and that, and that, that really rang true to me at that point because um, I, at that point I had like all these, you know, I was like, Mr. CEO, I might fire you today, whatever mm. sort of persona. So I just kind of started like building this, allowing myself the freedom to be one person, um, which turns out is, I mean, for better or worse, um, is somebody that really gives a shit about humans uh, in every way. And so it's, it's like, it's, it's, not that I make, I'm afraid to make hard decisions and, and those kinds of things, but I definitely have, of approaching my life through a much more um, 
consistent lens. So, uh, and that informs how I relate with uh, the the people around me. So that it's a very like consistent consistent way. Uh, and so, and, and emotion, you know, emotion for me is is you know as as, a, as the adage goes and. Um, They'll never remember what you said. They'll always remember how you made them feel. And, and, and that's true whether you're a person or you're a brand uh, or you're a father or whatever, right? And, and it's, it's about that, that feeling that you create. And so I, I, recognizing that, one of the hacks in life is going out of your way to engineer uh, emotional connection with people. Now, mm-hmm. that, I don't mean that in a way of like manipulation, because, but it's very much a, an intentionality of how you act uh, and, and because you want that other person, you know, whether it's somebody you're romantically involved with or whatever, to have that particular out- emotional outcome. Yeah, I love that. And you can really see that when you get visibility of everything that you do, whether it's through the podcast or having a conversation with you, or I had the pleasure of watching Jamin present at CRC in Dallas, which was awesome. And it's that consistency of the way that you speak, the way that you present yourself, you know, that that same, you know, dare I say it, authenticity that you bring into everything that you do. You know that you're getting the real Jamin. So do you consider that to be like a little bit of a superpower of yours? Yeah, I would say the superpower for me happened with this, like, like the the muscle started getting developed with Uber conference, which was a, I don't even know if it's around anymore, but it was a uh, teleconferencing platform that would give you a report on who spoke what percentage of the time in every meeting. Um, This goes back, you know, 15 ish years. And I noticed when I was getting the reports on every meeting, I was speaking about 80% of the time. It was because those conversations were really all about me, mm-hmm. right? That was, and, and that was that moment of self-awareness for me. And so I actually set like quantifiable goals that I would have a, a smaller proportion of speaking with my end goal being 30% in a meeting, mm-hmm. which the, 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 there's two things that happen there. One is you become a lot more like you need to ask other people to speak. So you've got to become like inviting in that framework. Um, but then the other part is it isn't about you or rather it isn't about me um, anymore. You know, before it was about me, me, me. And now all of a sudden I'm asking questions and I'm, I'm learning and I'm getting information about them. And um, I think that that's probably how, you know, that I wouldn't say it's a superpower in that like I was bit by a spider. I think it's much more <laughs> of like this thing of like cultivation that anybody can do it. And I really love that too, because we, we talk a lot about, um, like listening to other people, giving them an opportunity to to speak in the first place, but also like actively listening. And I feel like active listening is such an important job in market research as well, right? Because oh, yeah. so often we come into research with a hypothesis or we're like really we're wanting to get a certain type of answer <laughs> to the question uh, or we're wanting a very simple answer, like a black and white A or B but there's a lot of complexity in what people tell us and there's a lot of depth in sort of unpicking and really listening to what's sometimes even behind the words that they say. Yeah, I mean, gosh, it's it's so funny. Um, there's this movie, Fight Club, and there's this, for me, this iconic scene of um, he's having a conversation with the antagonist in an airplane and, and the um, antagonist says, you know, in a, in a converse, it, conversations are basically just bullshit. It's everybody ha- wanting to have an opportunity to talk. And you know what I mean? And basically they're just waiting for the pause so they can interject. And, and I think that that's probably right most of the time. 
But if you really care, like you really care, and you want to build empathy, then you really need to listen and allow that person to express themselves. But the but your point about active listening is such a I mean I, it's such an important one, and I'm probably this is like for me the most important thing that I'll ever say in my life. And and I feel like active listening is so has been so used as a term, but it's like trying to bench press 500 pounds, right? I mean, it's like, it's really, really hard to do that thing. And, and, and it's something that we have to approach in a very aggressive, like intentional um, manner. Uh, and, and because it's so easy for us to fall into those habits of, oh yeah, I know what you're going to say. I'm just going to basically either cut you off and not let you get to it. Or, but a lot of times it isn't about it, it is, you know, that conversation is very much a, a transactional one, meaning that like there needs to be give and take in order for you to build the rapport. Um, and brands, I think today, brands are in the exact same situation where they need to be able to listen to the customer uh, in, a, in a very, as you're articulating, active listening way. It isn't just about like have, having a Twitter feed. It's about having a Twitter feed that is actively engaging with the audience. And if you look at, you know, uh, organizations that are trending nowadays, you know, um, Gary Vaynerchuk is, is a big influencer. I don't actually follow him, but he does a really good job of that in terms of accessibility. And then if you look at, and if you look at other, other leaders, Barack Obama is a really good example. Um, there was a level of, of, or is a level of accessibility in a digital context, but I would say um, not to politicize things, but like Donald Trump probably did a better job in terms of his accessibility. Now, most people didn't like what he had to say, but that's not really the point, right? It's like, you know, there it is. You we are capable to have conversations at scale today, and that's where that like muscle really needs to be leveraged. But it needs to be leveraged for brands at scale. Amazing, I love that. Everything that you said, aside from the fact that you talked about Fight Club, you're not supposed to talk about Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> Point well taken. We'll we'll let that one slide. Um, so I love what you said. About, I love what you said about empathy because um, empathy is just such a buzzword, and you know we've been talking about it for for decades. But actually, it feels like it's coming back into the conversation in yeah. not just understanding people, but understanding each other, and and you know understanding different parts of the world, understanding different political views and empathy when it comes to research, I feel like is very connected to what you said about communities and brands really not just getting into a space because that's where everybody else is or that's where they think the opportunity is to hear what consumers have to say, but really immerse themselves into these online communities that are probably quite foreign to what they're used to. I, I was had an interview with Edwin Wong very early on in my in my uh, Happy Market Research podcast days, uh, and he's the head of insights for I believe Vox Media. And in that conversation, he said it's super easy. You talk about what people want to talk about, and you do that where they are. Those are the those are the ingredients to bake the cake of community, right? It, mm. That's it. But but this is the part that I think really complicates it is you have to talk. And and that's where I think brands oftentimes fail is they turn that into a monologue. And so it, it is all about the brand, right? So they talk about it, but they talk about it about themselves or they get influencers to talk about the brand, right? There isn't that actual transactional exchange that takes place when you have a real conversation. 
the brand isn't getting to know you as the buyer, right? They want you to get to know them. And, and, and that's very much an aged, I believe an aging out approach to brand building. I believe modern brand building will actually get to know the customer. And again, because we're operating in such a digital context, since shelter in place is, seems to be this like uh, on and off again um, part of our lives, you know, we're, we brands really have an opportunity to get to know the patterns, but they have to be willing to make the investment. So I think that's really interesting. And actually, we're at the 100 year anniversary of market research. So market research sort of started in the 1920s. And uh, Daniel Starch at the time said uh, that, you know, we've developed a theory that advertising had to be seen, read, believed, remembered, and most importantly, acted upon in order to be considered effective. And so market research was almost like the partner in crime to be able to better target our consumers, which again is like better reaching your consumers. But it feels like it's really evolved since then. Uh, what's your what's your biggest sort of aha moment in the, in the last 100 years uh, of market research? Well, kind of the biggest point um, is that there's this uh, principle of scaling uh, change, in other words, ever increasing change in power that happens over time with computing. So computers get uh, exp- exponentially more powerful um, uh, over time, and I think I think our world is adopting technology in the same way. Um, Mark Andreessen, uh, Andreessen Horowitz, very well-known venture capitalist, said, "Software is eating the world." This goes back. Uh, five, eight years ago. And he's exact, he's been ex- proven exactly right. Two years ago, what the stuff that we were doing is completely different or is mostly completely different than what we do today, mm-hmm. right? So you're talking about communities. Two years ago, we really didn't give a shit about communities, uh, right? And, and, and if you go back even 15 years ago, we were talking about, brands were talking about share of wallets. Now we're talking about breeding love with consumers, right? It's a completely different headspace that we've entered into. And it will be completely different next year. This is the important point is that like we have not nailed it because it's always in flux and the amount of flux is increasing dramatically. I mean, now we have an opportunity, brands have an opportunity to be able to canonize their brand community, the, the people that care about their brand. And I think that's why most brands aren't launching NFTs right now is because they don't actually have a community. Mm-hmm. They have a monologue that they've been propping up. You know, what's interesting about about games, is video games, is not only have they been growing, but like they're the epitome of community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because you get these people that are like-minded and care about these objectives and they're working together to be able to achieve them. Um, and, and there's a lot of lessons there for us as as brands to be able to pay attention to on how we can gamify um, our brand and create this like, I call it the the co-op mentality where the community members feel like they have a vested interest in the success of the brand. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I think like the metaverse, NFTs, there's so much skepticism and doubt in marketers' minds or, or even, you know, business leaders' minds about how long this is going to last, um, which for me is very connected into, you know, when we go in to validate an opportunity, like we say, is NFTs a thing? We're very focused on either ruling it in or ruling it out. So do, right. you, do you think that research needs to be much more about openness to explore and discover new opportunities versus just validating? 
Wow, that's an interesting question. Um, so I think about the practicalness of research, like like how we get paid. And um, we get paid basically to answer business questions, uh, to validate or invalidate hypotheses um, at a simplistic level, right? Mm. Now, where, where, I th- where I see a lot of agencies moving is upstream to strategy. So you're, you know, and then you have other uh, strategy companies like Accenture and others that are actually doing a lot more uh, market research these days. Mm. Um, and so, and, and so they're moving downstream. So I, I think the more that the relationship that you have as a brand with the, the, your trusted partners, the more the trusted partners can understand the full continuum, right, of, of your business struggles, how, you know, and then be able to practically execute research that operates in time with the business insight necessary in order to drive a successful outcome. Like, that to me is what success is does look like today and and will ultimately look like in the next two years you you've sort of operated at lots of different um levels in your in your vast career in market research you were a ceo like you said of a big research company focus vision now you're heading up a more nimble company uh, with hub ux what's the biggest difference that you see in terms of not not necessarily the research that you do or the methodologies that you employ, but how you approach a business problem at a big company versus a smaller one. <laughs> I mean, so when you're a, at a CEO of a larger company, um, then, you know, obviously you have people that do stuff. When you're a small company, you take the trash out. <laughs> Although I would say that I took the trash out all the time anyways. Like, I, mm. I feel like there's a level of humility that you have to have in order to operate in, a nim- as you articulated very politely, a nimble company or small <laughs> company. Um, and, and, and kind of getting to your earlier question, like, you have to have, if you're going to be a good consumer insights professional, whether it's customer experience, uh, user experience, or market research, like, you need to have humility and you have to check your assumptions at the door. I think about research much like walking into a cave that is com- at night that is completely dark. So you have no lights or anything, right? And if you walk into that cave, you probably are, if you have a flashlight, you're probably setting it on the wide angle just to make sure that you're not like tripping over things and get a sense of where the walls are and things like that. But as you move through the cave, you'll start understanding and discovering the boundaries of it. Um, you know, obstacles and opportunities. And then you can like narrow the beam on the flashlight to start really diving deeper into those to get a, to get a good view on very specific areas. And Consumer Insights is exactly the same sort of journey, I think. You know, you start mm-hmm. out with a very humble point of view that you're walking into a place that you don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's I think it's really important to be able to, to have the humility to say, I don't know the answers, that's why I'm doing the research. And um, to come away with that where you're doing a lot of listening whether it's at a quantitative level or a quantitative level, so that you're able to create a uh, an outcome for the your customer that is both timely and and very very representative of what the customer wants to tell them. I love that analogy as well. We use that quite a lot in foresight. So we actually say shining the flashlight into like directions that people aren't even looking at, like the the mm. monster in the corner <laughs> that you're not <laughs> that you're not aware is sort of lurking behind and might yeah. uh, might disrupt your business. Eat you, yeah. <laughs> um, and so one of the things that I think you know, is really self-evident. Even you know, I, I'm sure people can hear in this conversation is that you're really you're really curious about the human being, right? Like you really want to humanize the insights. How do you think that that's evolving in the context of AI and technology and these new, I guess, research methodologies driven by um, smart computing and and um, AI? 
So AI has this, been this buzzword that we've had just you know evolving and growing in importance. Um, the reality is there's no true, there's very little true AI, if any. I would be very interested if your audience knows of a real AI engine for consumer insights. But, you know, so putting that little nit aside, there's definitely a role for automated research or AI-enabled research. Um, and, and it's for those quick answers where it's like boilerplate. But you would never apply, in my opinion, um, an AI engine or an automated, like a black box research approach to something like optimizing your consumer's journey because there's so much humanization that needs to be extracted from the different stages inside of the customer journey. Ultimately, the research should tell you, okay, if you do it right, if I fly the Goodyear blimp over the stadium with market research, you should be able to model specific outcomes so that the, so the marketing team knows where to spend the money for the best possible outcome. And if you do that and do that right with market research, then you will absolutely win. You know, there's, it's just like, like true consumer insights versus what I consider more like, you know, put in a quarter and get a response. Mm -hmm. back like you know they both have roles they're both really important but today we really need to be leaning into real like hard important strategic uh research which to your point isn't just hey i've got a business question give me the answer it's much more we need to be thinking about how do we build a community like what does an nft plan look like for our business uh and then working with the working with the market researchers and and or agencies uh to be able to come up with a informed uh point of view and i love that you said consumer journey as well because particularly when we're thinking about communities or some of these new you know social networks that are our consumers human beings are living and breathing they're not just something that they go and do in the day they're not an activity they're a part of their life so you've got a TikTok account <laughs> <laughs> how has, uh, you know, getting into TikTok or getting into some of these new platforms, how does that help you, you know, get closer to the consumer? You know, getting back to the kind of our underpinnings of you need to be empathetic, so you need to be able to listen, but then you also can't judge, you need to be humble. Um, I, I teach an MBA class and... Um, in, in that market research for MBAs. And uh, in that class, I actually have the students create a um, TikTok account. And it's been amazing to me how, like their points of view on TikTok are, you know, China owned, give them all my data, they're the devil, right? Um, if my wife sees me on it, I'm gonna get a divorce or, you know, all this, <laughs> all this these crazy points of view. And some of that could be true, but you know, the, basically like a, it's awful to most people saying gosh i really uh you know i can't control myself so i'm getting off the platform or what have you like the like it's really the dopamine they master the dopamine but like all of them end with a wow this is really important for me to understand and i'm thankful that i went through the exercise because now i can viscerally connect with the platform and and so like to your point we enter into should i be on te uh, on snapchat should i you know, should I be back in the day? Should I even get on Facebook? Um, now, of course, the answer is no, because, you know, nobody's there. But <laughs> but the 
point is that like we need to understand that humans are spending a tremendous amount of time in these areas and if we don't understand them fundamentally as in we're not part of that community then it's really really hard for us to understand the insights that come from us and how that how that needs to be applied to the businesses that we are supposed to drive positive outcomes for Yeah, exactly. And understand, you know, the why, because that's the bit that I think researchers, insights professionals are really, what we all have, we should have a superpower in is that curiosity to more deeply understand what's driving people to um, be on these platforms, to be engaging, to be creating. I think it's really important for us to push ourselves outside. Can you tell what I'm going to ask you? You To push ourselves outside of our, our comfort zones or even, you know, like to get our brains completely out of what we're used to and I feel like you and I have a common thing that we turn to to get ourselves outside of the workspace and into a really awesome escape which is Star Trek <laughs> I, yeah, live long and prosper I, I promised Jamin that I would bring this into the conversation I'm like I love absolutely it. determined nailed it to do nailed it. Like, it was such a smooth smooth segue to segue that. ever yeah <laughs> uh, my wife and I are going to a Star Trek convention this April in Chicago so if any of your listeners are interested <laughs> in um uh, coming to that, it would be super fun to oh be my able gosh, to connect. I love it. So fun. So who's your hero on Star Trek? Uh, I mean, it's Picard. He's the cap. Like if I could be anybody in the series, it would, uh, right. It would be Picard. How about you? Uh, Janeway. And it's not funny yeah. that we both went to captains. <laughs> I know you, it would surprise me if it wasn't a captain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, even like I'm, I'm, I'm really, really trying to connect that to the conversation that we had. But I do think it's self-evident that, you know, Picard, if anyone watches Star Trek, and if you don't, please go and watch TNG. It's the best. It's <laughs> <laughs> my plug for Star Trek on this. Um, is he, he is a leader of people. He gives you control and safety and security and a vision for the future. But he also does genuinely care about each of the people on his ship. And he has a genuine curiosity about the people who he comes into contact with, these strange new worlds and these people who live on them to better understand them, to see how he could help them. And I feel like that's, um, again, a little bit of what I see you doing as well uh, as pseudo, pseudo captain, um, is that you, you seem like you give back quite a lot, even like creating the Happy Market Research podcast and generating that kind of knowledge for people to be able to learn from. Is that a big part of who you are? I mean, first of all, huge compliment. Thank you so much. That was, that's very kind of you um, uh, to say that. I, I mean, yeah, it's it's all about adding value. And for me, creating a space for people to tell their stories is a big part of the value that I try to create in the community, much like what you're doing today. Um, and I am very appreciative of having the opportunity to be on this side of the mic. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it is for me a, an absolute joy. Um, I try to, I often, like you do, um, you know, voice my points of view as guests are talking, but I do try to keep it um, one-sided, so to speak. Um, mm. you know, in, in those conversations. So it is, it is actually really nice to <laughs> be the center of attention. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. You're a natural, natural center of attention. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Don't know I what that means. What I, have am I, a, to say? I have a few people that would agree with you, uh, more than a few. 
Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and, you know, disrupting market research, doing what you do with heart. Um, it's been a pleasure. I do have one last question for you before I let you go. Yes. Um, what's your go-to? What What's something that, aside from Star Trek, what is something that you do or read or watch that sort of pulls you outside of what you're normally used to? So I'm right now it's Coinbase. So I'm spending a lot of time um, in open sea. So I always try to create like a, uh, hobby that is something that is very uncomfortable for me. Uh, and so I'm, I'm spending a lot of time in like open sea, checking out NFTs and, and, uh, I still have not pulled the trigger, but I am, I do have some, uh, ETH and I'll be expanding my portfolio in ETH. And so, yeah, I think it's, for me, it's coming up with something that makes me have to learn and then spending the time and getting involved and active in those communities. I love that. And I love that you said it's a hobby. It's not just something that you go and like read a book about. It's something that you right. really like dive into. Thank you so much for sharing. And again, a huge thank you for coming on the show. Huge thank you for having me. That was so much fun. I hope you enjoyed learning from the vast experience that Jamin has in the market research field. And if you did, please review and share the show so that others can hear Jamin too. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep looking outside. Mm-hmm.